The scripture today is taken from John, chapter 13, there, verses 31 to 35. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The word of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, our Lord and our Redeemer. Please be seated. Before we start, I'm going to tell uh, Shavana not to worry about the boys. We're happy they're here, and I will talk louder than them, guaranteed. As they get older, they will understand, and if they're still with you, that there's a way to behave, and that's just part of growing up. So let's not worry about the kids. We love having kids here, and you two look very good. Did you know that? Huh? It's just a little guy that still likes to talk. The older one is very smart. The young one is smart, too, but we're happy you're here. Right? Yes. Let's turn our attention to the Word of God, John chapter 13. In all of Scripture, this particular passage, starting from uh, John 13 to 17, is recognized as different because within that passage, John 13, to 17 is the last night that Jesus spends with his disciples. And in that night, all of this takes place. Chapter 13 to 17. That's a large passage, isn't it? And so what Jesus shares with the disciples within this chapter is the culmination is the summary of his mission. Everything that he came to be and everything that he came to teach is in this passage. The passage that we've picked for today, verses 31 to 35, is once again the focal point of that message, whereas he begins to explain who he is, and how they fit into that particular relationship with Jesus Christ. And in chapter 17 is what we have, what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. It's the most beautiful prayer. I know that we're all used to the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer, when dissected, one time I preached a series of sermons. We had nine sermons on the Lord's Prayer. There's so much depth in it. 
But the Lord's Prayer begins to just scratch the surface when you consider the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ in John 17. One day, Lord willing, we'll get to that. Today, we're going to focus on this portion. Now, what has happened here? Let me set the stage for today's passage. Jesus has just spent some time with the disciples. He has washed their feet. You remember that? And what happened while, before he was washing the feet? What was happening between the disciples? Were they all getting along happily? Were they celebrating their excitement about who Jesus was and what they were doing? What were they doing? They were debating about, and they were jostling about, who is going to be the most important in the new kingdom that Jesus was going to rule, where he was going to destroy the Romans and take over, and they were trying to set up who is going to be what uh, important person, what important post they were going to hold. And Jesus showed them that, he must, that they must be a servant like he was. This also a time when the Lord's Supper has taken place already. The Last Supper has taken, over, uh, has taken place already. Now, in this context, Jesus has given the bread and the wine to the disciples, and as soon as Judas takes the, uh, the, the Last Supper, Jesus says to him, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. And Judas has got up and he has left the room. Judas has left the room. And part of this story, by the way, we're going to study in our Bible study later on today, after lunch. The meaning of Judas leaving that room. Believe it or not, there is great depth in, in that action alone. So Judas has left. And here is then when we pick up the passage. In verse 31 it says, And when he was gone. Who was gone? Judas. So everybody with me now? Judas is gone. And Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. While we're on that point, I'm going to take you to chapter 17. Those of you that have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 17. And those that don't yet have the habit of bringing your Bibles, you better get on with it. So, Chapter 17. Let me read this to you. I will remain... Okay, I'm going to go to verse 9. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All, is, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. What has happened? Glory has come to who? To Jesus. Through whom? Them. He says, all you have given to me. 
Right? All you have is mine. That's what Jesus has said. And all I have is yours. And glory has come to me through whom? Through them. So what are the disciples doing in their life? They're bringing glory to Jesus Christ. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. You, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So that the disciples may be one. One as you and I are one. Jesus wants that kind of closeness for his followers as he has with the Father. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost. Are you with me? None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. You see the unity? You see the beauty of the Gospels? You see the beauty of the Bible? Let me go back now to chapter 13 again. Now is the Son of Man glorified. Got it? Chapter 17, he said what? I am glorified by them. So he is glorified. Now I am glorified. And when is he glorified? When he is gone. Get it? Jesus says in his prayer, I have lost none of the disciples that you gave me except the one. It is after Judas has left that Jesus says he is now gone. I have not lost anyone except for the one who was doomed. And the rest that are here, I am glorified. They have glorified me. Now, Verse 33, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. We don't have time to dissect that particular verse. One day, God willing, maybe in our Bible study or another sermon, we will. But I'm going to go on because there's another part that we need to focus on. Verse 34. A new command I give you. A new command I give you. And what is that command? Listen to it. Love one another. Love one another. What does he mean by that? Love one another. You know... In the marriage vow, the Bible tells us, Husband, love your wives as you love who? Love yourself. Love your wife as I have loved the church. Right? Is that hard to do? Then it says, love your neighbor as... Oh my God. Goodness. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, I've been living in the country for a long time where I am. And you all know the story. I have chickens and I have dogs. And my dogs, they know the whole neighborhood and the neighborhood knows them. And they run around, especially at night. 
They chase all the coyotes away as they come home. And uh, in the last couple of years, people have built houses around there. And now, when they see my dogs running around, although they don't hurt anybody, even if they're on my property, they're running loose. There's one neighbor across the street, and he complains, comes over to my house. Yeah, Ron, dogs are running loose. I say, yeah, but they're running on my property. It's okay. Oh, yeah, what if they come over and attack my dogs, attack my kids? I said, well, maybe you should put your kids on the leash. <laughs> I'm kidding. I didn't say that. But, but lately, he ended up calling the city. So the city animal control people come over. They said, you can't have your dogs running around. Dude, they're not running around. They're running. They got, they got 15 acres. They can run around. They're okay. But tell me something. I have a question for you. How much do you think I love that neighbor? Come on now. Be, uh, I don't mind being uh, a confessor, okay? How much do you think I love that neighbor? Not very much? Oh, I think I should go and make him breakfast every morning, don't you think? Huh? Come on now. I get myself a coffee and a muffin. That's what I have for breakfast. So I think I should make it a priority that every day when I go to Tim Hortons, yes, I'm addicted, that I should pick up a coffee and a muffin for him and take it to his house in the morning. Say, here, buddy. And put a little bit of poison in the muffin. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? That is just terrible. We are terrible beings. You know, and I tell you, I'm not the only one who's had bad neighbors. I know somebody in this church who fixed their downspouts. Huh? And the downspouts put water in toward the neighbor's house. And half the city showed up. Am I right? I won't say who it is, but isn't that true, Sister Shanta, Tennessee? Oh, did I say that? I won't tell, I won't tell you it was Shanta. But you know, how much love do you have for neighbors who, rather than talking to you, just go and call the city? It's tough. And yet Jesus says, love your enemies. Love those who hate you. He said, what good is it if you love your own children? Even the non-believers do that. Where's the goodness in that? Where's the goodness in that? And how does he say to love one another? Here, verse 34. A new commandment I give you, love one another. It's not just love one another. How to love one another? And this is the tough part. As I have loved you. Ouch. So, you must love one another. This is how you must love one another. Who just got a new car? Let me hear. Let me see. Who got a new car? Who's got the fanciest car out there besides Vinoy's? Vinoy's got a $200,000 SUV out there. What would you think if the poor pastor was driving an old beat-up Volkswagen that's all rusted out? And he said, listen, you love me as much as you love yourself. Why don't you let me have your car? Come on now. I know every one of you would give me a car. Am I right? Why you laugh? 
It's true, I know, I have the confidence. That's the confidence that God has in his believers. Love one another as I have loved you. And how did he love? You know that the word love in Greek has four different words that we are aware of, that we know, that we use all the time. And the one that Jesus used when he asked Peter, remember two weeks ago we had that study? Peter, do you love me? He used the word agape. Do you love me? Unconditional love. And the word Peter says, you know I love you. He didn't respond with the same word agape, unconditional love. He says, you know I love you. He used phileo, which is the brotherly love. Peter was being smart. Jesus asked him again and again, three times. Why? Because the love that Peter had for Jesus before at the trial was conditional. And what was the condition? As long as you're the king, I'm going to love you. It was a conditional love. But when now Jesus is resurrected, Peter finally confesses that he cannot love as deeply as Jesus loves. Jesus tells us here to love as I have loved you. How does the world know that we are Christians? How does the world know that we are Christians? By the things we do. Very good answer. Now, take a moment. With me, I'm going to examine my life, and you examine yours. And you tell me, do the people around you know that you are a Christian by the things that you do? By this, this is the tough part, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. It's not just loving one another. It's also loving others. Now, here's my confession. I realized something last week. I was at a building, and I parked, and I was examining something, and the uh, apartment in the basement, it's a raised basement, the door opens into the driveway, a guy comes out, he sees me standing there, and he quietly closes the door and goes back down. He didn't know that I saw him, but he saw me, but I didn't recognize him. I thought, who's that? I knocked on the door, didn't answer. I kicked the door, didn't answer. I thought maybe he can't hear, so I kicked it a bit harder to see. Hey, hey. I said, hello, buddy. You better answer the door, otherwise I'm going to call the police. I need to know who you are. And I'm talking a little loud. And the guy from upstairs comes around running. He says, oh, he says, uh, that, that, that's Luke. He said, Luke, who's Luke? He said, he's a friend of James. James moved out and he sublet him. James didn't tell you? I said, no. So I said, why is the guy not opening the door? He says, because he's afraid of you. I said, afraid of me or what? He says, oh, everybody knows about you. 
up until a couple of years ago, I wasn't the nicest guy in the world, and I would physically do things that I shouldn't be doing. And we got into some altercations, and apparently people know that he says, oh, they know you know martial arts and stuff. I said, and I got in the car, I said, that's what they know. That's horrible. That's horrible. People know. Thank God that somebody told me that I should start preaching because part of that preaching was studying the Bible and giving up being a little bit physical. But the word of God requires that we live a life in a certain way that is loving and gentle and affectionate. That is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Turn your Bibles with me. Because when we talk about loving one another, loving one another is just a condition. You understand? To be in love... I know when Sammy first met the babe, he fell in love. Right, Sammy? And when you fell, I know the story when he went to back home, Guyana. He met her, wasn't supposed to, by accident, right? Yep. He fell in love. But from that love comes actions. A love is a condition. Evidence of that love is in the actions. Right? Now, this is chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So you don't get angry when you can justify being angry. Self-control. Your goodness, your faithfulness, your kindness. Jesus here in John chapter 13 talks about specifically Specifically, the importance of glorifying him, glorifying the Father through him. And Jesus said, in order to glorify, you do it by the love, by the love that we have. We need to examine our lives. Don't think about those that are your children. You can't measure your love for God by the way you love your children. That ain't it. You know why? Jesus said, if your child asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If your child asks for bread, will you give him stone? He said, no. Then how much more does the Father in heaven love you? If you can love your children like that, 
Loving your children is just a matter of instinct. A wild animal will fight and give its life for its child. So there's no goodness in that. And there's no goodness in reciprocal relationships where you get something back. In this world today, we see that Christians are being killed around the world. In Africa, in India, even here in North America. Christians are being killed for their faith. Why is it that we don't see Muslims being killed in those kinds of numbers? Or like that. We had 50 Muslims, I think it was, in New Zealand that were killed by a person who was not a Christian, who was a professed atheist. And it was not a religious uh, attack. We cannot justify killing anybody. But the entire world rose up. And New Zealand made new rules for protecting Islam. And the same thing happens all over the world. Why is it that when Christians are killed by the tens of thousands, nobody takes any action and nobody cares? Why? I submit to you. Because the Christian community does not respond to violence by violence. They know that if Christians are killed, they're not going to come back and kill you for killing them. They know that. But if you attack Islam in one place, Islam will attack you all over the world. Christianity, Jesus Christ, teaches you just the opposite of what Muhammad teaches you. You respond to violence with love. And most importantly, that love shows itself within the body of Christ by unity, by unity. Do you know the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, he talked about all the problems that the church was having. All the problems. And for almost every problem, in fact, for every problem, he kind of gave them a pass. Not that it's okay to do. He says, I know you do this, and I know why you do it. But on the question of unity, he gave them no option. No justifiable reason for the church not to be acting as one, as a body of Christ. You know why? Because that unity is evidence of the, of the getting away from our personal pride. When we love one another, our pride dies. Our selfishness dies. We no longer say, this is how I want it. This is how I want it. This is what I want. We say, how does the Lord want it and what is best for the church? Evidence of Jesus Christ in the life of the church is our love. And this was the last will and testament of Jesus before he went to the cross. This is the new commandment. By this shall all men know 
that you are my disciples. And in chapter 17, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus says to the Father, I am now coming to you, that I may be glorified in heaven as I'm glorified here. And may you be glorified by these that you have given me, and also protect those that will come after, that we may be glorified by them who are to come. He was talking about us. If we claim to be Christians, we need to make God a priority in our lives. We need to make God a priority in our lives. And I'm going to say this, and I don't want to hurt any feelings, but part of that priority and part of that unifying has a great deal to do with coming together for a weekly service. In Leviticus 23, where God has all of the commandments, all of the feasts, he says, he starts, Leviticus 23 starts with this, that God requires that once a week we come for an assembly of believers. It's not me saying it. I'm not, I've never been the kind of pastor who calls people and says, hey, you're missing in church, you better start attending. I'll call to check up and see, are you doing okay? But we've got to make time that we, how can we be unified and unity and work together if we don't even know one another? That's part of being a Christian and a Christian leader. That we may be able to love and know what our problems are. Here we share with one another. If we have a problem, we have an opportunity. If we have something to celebrate, we have an opportunity to tell one another. So we can say, good, congratulations. And if somebody's having a hard time, we can hold their hand, give them a call, make sure they're okay. That is the family of God. Let's pray that God will anoint us with the Holy Spirit, that we make an effort by the power of God to be what he wants us to be and put aside our own personal focus that we may focus on the body of Christ and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.